Hello and welcome into the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Patagna alongside 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting Andrew Ivins. In another week and another guest, we are now joined by Mark Pantoni, the Associate Athletic Director and General Manager of the Ohio State Buckeyes, entering year 12 in Columbus. Mark Pantoni also used to work for Urban Meyer at the University of Florida. He's kind of seen it all. And Mark, we're going to get you started with a nice softball here. But can you do me a favor and rank for us Carnell Tate, Brandon Ennis, and Noah Rogers and how you see them? <laughs> oh, yeah. Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, the good thing is I have gotten to see uh, Carnell and Noah through two two practices up here so far so uh um but i will say you guys you guys uh hit it hit it on those guys because uh we we think very highly of them and uh we do think they're going to be impact players and have have bright futures um you know i'm not, not going to order them one two three but i think they're all going to be elite game changers for us well mark that was one of the biggest debates we've had behind the scenes uh i've ran into some of your coaches on the road I ask them and and you kind of get different varying opinions. So I'm interested to see uh, not who rises to the top, but just kind of how their careers play out. And that's one we're going to be tracking. Um, I know we're going to get into a bunch of that, but uh, I did some research on on you and your background. Uh, came across an athletic story where I think they called you uh, the godfather. You're mentioned multiple times uh, about the godfather. So can you just give our listeners just kind of a a quick rundown of how you got to where you are. Um, I think there was at one point you wanted to be a, a, a doctor and then you're working for Urban Meyer uh, at the University of Florida. You're one of the first director of player personnels out there. So give us give us the uh, the spark notes on, on the Wikipedia page for for the background. Yeah, so when they call me the Godfather, all that tells me is that I'm really old. So uh, that's how I take it. But yeah, so when I was at the University of Florida, I, I was doing uh, the pre-med track, finished it up and um, was interviewing for medical school at the time. Um, but at the same time, I was also pretty burnt out from school and another 15 years of medical school and residency and being in debt and uh, dealing with all that. So I had some I had some cloudiness and there was a one-year master's program at Florida in uh, exercise physiology, which I was majoring in. So I said, hey, let me go get master's program, figure out what direction my life is headed. And at that time, it's kind of when I was blessed and got an opportunity to get my foot in the door as a volunteer in, in the football office in recruiting. And back then, there was no uh, social media or anything. And the, the main way of communication was through snail mail. So my task every morning was to come in and handwrite about 500 envelopes, which is, you know, a guy who's thinking about going to medical school and grinding through undergrad. This is a pretty, uh, that was all that hard work paid off to go handwrite envelopes. So, um, but I was very passionate about football recruiting. I was always passionate about um, how you built a, how you built a roster, how you built an organization. And, you know, at the time I, I, whenever I do things, I do think to feed in and go as hard as I can. And, I was very blessed to be around some great coaches at that time, um, back in 2006. And go figure, 2006, we go through and play for a national championship against the Ohio State University, and win. And so I'm like, yeah, wow, first year national championship. This is this is a great start. I loved what I did. Um, I couldn't get enough of what I did, and I made it a point, you know, to be the first one in the building and the last one to leave. And uh, you know, fast forward two more years, um, I get hired full time by Coach Meyer, 
Um, and, you know, he just keeps adding more responsibilities to my plate. And I keep learning and learning. And 2008 with Tim Tebow in that group, uh, we went another national championship against Oklahoma. So two out of my first three years, national championships. And I'm thinking, wow, this is a this is a great profession. I, I'm loving this. And uh, as time went on, um, you know, there was really no at the time recruiting departments. And so it was myself and um, a lady, Emily Heater, who was kind of running things at the University of Florida. And she was more of the on-campus side, and I was more on the film and uh, personnel, helping Coach Meyer with the roster side. And, you know, every day I came in, I just wanted to learn more and more, like I said. And, uh, you know, fast forward to 2011, you know, Coach Meyer steps down. Coach, I'm sorry, yeah, 2011, Coach uh, Muschamp comes in for his first year as head coach. I stayed at University of Florida under him. And it was great just learning a different system. Um, At that time, you know, I'd only known Coach Meyer's way. but Coach Meyer had been a great mentor to me and taught me everything I knew. Um, and then fast forward another year, 2012, I get a phone call from Coach Meyer um, to come up to Ohio State with him. And uh, I had never left Florida before. So wake up in Columbus, Ohio, and it's snowing in 20 degrees. And I said, here we go. So fast forward another 12 years. And uh, I went from a two-man operation at Ohio State to now it's you know almost 12 people in the recruiting department. So times have changed quickly. With the game changing so rapidly, Mark, I think something that, you know, I could relate to, like you start out with these simple tasks, right? Like you at Florida writing uh, 500 envelopes a day. And then now all of a sudden you go from a department that had two people, one of the best programs in the country now to where you oversee 12 full time employees. I'm sure that's not even including interns right in the in the recruiting department. I mean, the game has changed. You talk about snail mail now to social media and the demand of photo shoots, which I know is something you kind of brought up at the personnel symposium and how taxing that really is. I mean, how difficult is it for you, for Ohio State, to keep the main thing the main thing and build a roster that can be competitive year in and year out in January? Yeah, in the ideal world, um, when we get these kids on campus, we always say it's it's a two way street as far as like a job interview. So we're learning about them. They're learning about us. We're kind of seeing how um, they interact with things up here. What's their priority level? Is it NFL? Is it development? Is it opportunity to win for championships? Is it photo shoots? Is it uh, more about um, team or is it more about me? So, you know, as they're here on campus, we're going to look at all the little things to to make sure they're a good culture fit. Because at the end of the day, in my opinion, culture in that locker room is the number one reason why teams win. You mentioned the photo shoots, right? I think in, at the players symposium, you you were leading the charge, maybe maybe a little bit against them in, in some ways. Go back to when you were at the University of Florida, right? You're, you're recruiting those monster recruiting classes. Like photo shoots weren't weren't a thing then were they like that wasn't part of the visit and now that is the highlight of the visit so what's it been like i guess seeing that transformation in terms of how that has become front and center for some athletes yeah as we all know social media can be instant gratification so if you're having a bad day all you got to do is post a photo cool photo of yourself and you get a bunch of likes and it makes you feel good about yourself and you know as you know 16 to 18 year olds, you know, that's front and center. You're, they're staring at their phones, as we know, for eight to 10 hours a day, it seems like. So I get it. Uh, you know, I'm the old head now, um, you know, and, and I'm not 
entirely for eliminating photo shoots. I just think it should be for official visits only. Um, we actually have passed a uh, a uh, reform for it. Um, so there could be some changes, you know, down the road sometime. Um, and I just think um, rather than photo sheets being the front and center of an unofficial visit to where the coaches visits and time with coaches gets less and watered down. Um, because as we know, photo shoots can take up to 30 minutes to an hour to, to from start to finish. So it's just a lot of time wasted on a visit um, when they're, when they're, First level of priority should be one, spending time with the coaching staff and our players. Secondly, learning about academics, campus, um, et cetera, which, which is the main reason why they're choosing a school and not necessarily for photo shoots. I want to go back to like trying to identify that fit because Andrew and I were talking before you jumped on, you know, the, the responsibility and the weight of the Ohio State brand, arguably the biggest brand in all of college football. There is a lot of positive that comes with it, especially when you're recruiting nationally and the weight that it has. That being said, there's also some downside that can come with a lot of open doors. And for you guys, I just want to know how early is it? Excuse me. How, how important is it for you in terms of the early identification part of your process and starting to identify that fit really early because, you know, I heard you talking in February and you said, hey, we're, we're really starting to move on not, not only to the 2024 cycle, but to 25 and to 26. And I think it, in, in my experience where you guys didn't get a, enough credit is the job that you do two and three years out. And by that time comes in terms of the 2024 cycle, you already have a pretty good idea of, hey, this is the group or pod of players that we feel strongly that fit the Ohio State University. I mean, can you talk a little bit about how important it is for you in that information gathering process, not to be early in terms of, of executing the offer, but to be early in terms of gathering information and to make sure that we're cutting the fat. That way we're not spending time on players that really don't make sense for us. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, you know, sophomore film, I've always thought is just a good early indicator to get an opportunity to see what a what a prospect could be. And by no means should that be, you know, really your final evaluation. To me, the junior film can kind of give you the best evaluation tool of of deciding who's going to be a good fit um, from a skill standpoint. Um, but you have to adapt or, or you're going to die. So you like you said, you have to be early in in figuring things out. And as much as we don't like it, you know, we have to do it. Um, but the thing you're not going to see us do is throwing out a ton of ton of early offers out to sophomores. We try to be more restrictive. Um, you know, you're going to see I see some prospects that have 30 offers and they didn't play varsity as a sophomore. And so, you know, that just goes to show that one schools aren't even watching their film or because or secondly, they're just doing all physical appearance which is fine. Everybody does it differently. But um, to us, we're, we're really going to do our due diligence and do a thorough evaluation. Um, like you said, really starting sophomore year and then junior year is really important. So w w can you take us into, I mean, you don't have to give us the, the secrets, but what is kind of that process? You got coaches out on the road, spring evaluation period. Obviously, you guys do summer camps. I mean, what, what are the boxes that need to be checked for one of those young guys to get an offer from Ohio State? Yeah. Um, ultimately, when the coaches go in the school, they're gathering information. They're passing along names back up here for us to to evaluate. Um, and I think the like in any scouting, um, the film tells really 
most of the story, um, but also the character academics that all that all plays into it as well. So um, if they can show measurables, um, if we can confirm it through different camps and at our camps and, you know, they test well and the film's good, then um, we'll, we'll throw out early offers, especially if they meet height, weight, um, not requirements, but what we're looking for. Mark, I thought it was interesting kind of what you mentioned back in February that this year with NIL, it, it had been somewhat of a learning curve for you guys. And I look back and Andrew and I have discussed this, but you had 33 official visitors over the summer. You signed 12 of them. And to me, you know, I'd have to go back and I'd have to do a lot more digging, but I, I would have to think that your success rate is a little bit higher than 12 out of the 33 that you brought on campus. And it was fascinating because there was a lot of these guys, I'm not going to go into names, that I think either were committed to you at one point, signed with other schools, which Ohio State's retention rate as well, once these players commit in the past, has been has also been very high. For you guys looking at the NIL space and, and how that potentially impacts you, I, I'm just kind of curious to get your philosophy because hearing you talk a little bit in February, it sounds more like Hey, we're going to use NIL really in the way that it was designed to be more as a player retention tool than a pay for play tool. And as you navigate this, do you feel more of like, hey, we have a stronger pull and a stronger grip on the type of people that are closer to the program in the Midwest region than we do if we're going to different parts of the country where that relationship might not be as strong. And you know what, maybe these guys, because like you said, when they come to campus, they're kind of telling us who they are. And maybe that's something that we don't really want to get involved in as much. I mean, so simple question, I guess, to bring it all back around. I mean, has the last year and the results of it impacted how the way that you guys are going to move forward? Yeah, you made, you made a lot of great points. Um, you know, we we're going to have to go in the mid, stay in the Midwest, Northeast, um, obviously Ohio, and, and take more than probably usual. Now, we just have to make sure we realized in the past we might have waited longer to offer or evaluate. Um, we don't have that luxury anymore because it's too sped up. So um, we just have to be under the realization that hey, maybe he's not as talented as someone from farther out, but he has a great chance of development. Um, he's going to come here and he's not going to transfer after a year if he's not playing. Um, so those are factors we are strongly considering. Um, at the same time, we are still going to do our due diligence on all, you know, nationally um, and try to find out and ask the right questions of what factors are making their decision. If NIL is number one and you can pretty much tell which schools on their list or, you know, if they're considering all NIL schools and probably not going to one be a good fit for us and, Two, we're probably going to be wasting a lot of time and resources on them. So um, throughout this recruiting process, if we can do a good job gathering that information and, hey, if we can hit on a lot of the guys, you know, the Brandon Ennis's of the world who want to come here and they're not looking for the the quick buck and understand their long-term goals and where that's going to take them, then those are the guys we're going to go after. You, you bring up Brandon Ennis. I mean, I can recall – running into like Ryan Day, uh, Brian Hartline. Uh, how like refreshing was that recruitment for you guys all being up there and, you know, getting him across the finish line? Because I've said it in, in this space and 
discussed it with Cooper. I, I think the X factor with him is has always been the mindset and, and, and the mentality as a competitor. And you talk about building a roster, you've always been fascinated with that. I think in this current landscape with the rules that are in place, like you need individuals like that who are going to be an alpha in the locker room and are there for exactly what you said, the the right reason. So I guess what you know, what was it like just recruiting him and and how do you find more guys like that? Yeah, Brandon, he's the ultimate competitor. You know, he's been on the seven on seven circuit since eighth grade. Everybody's been hearing about this this guy. Um, but it just shows, you know, um, not just Brandon, but even Carnell and and Noah and Bryson Rogers, just you know, they they're coming here year one and know they've got Marvin and Emeka, Julian Fleming, these other guys in front of them in, in the four we signed the year before. They're coming into a loaded room. But just like, you know, Emeka was not afraid of Garrett and Chris and he, he knew coming here he was going to learn and be under the best and work and te- and those guys were going to teach him the ways and that's how I kind of view it and, and Harline is the best recruiter in the country as as he's shown and, and he does a great job of mapping out and projecting how their development is going to be under him um, so if we can keep creating that culture and that pipeline I just you know if we can do that for every room we're going to have great success. I want to talk a little bit about Brian Hartline because I, I think this does play into what we were just talking about. You know, what was fascinating to me is, you know, we, we talk about NIL and some of the guys that you had targeted, I think, down in the Sunshine State in the state of Florida that that maybe had played out a little bit differently than what you guys had hoped. But Brandon Ennis, Carnell Tate, Noah Rogers, I mean, three of the best receivers in the country. And I think pretty safe to say that the two that I mentioned at the top, Ennis and Tate, there were a lot of a lot of people pulling at them even after they had committed to Ohio State. Do you feel like Brian Hartline, even when we talk about this NIL space, I mean, we're talking about two guys out of the state of Florida, even though, you know, Carnell Tate's a transplant transplant out of Illinois. He almost feels to me like the great equalizer down there when it comes to that, right? You you can go down there and say, hey, we have the best receiver room in the country. This is what we've done at the position. We continue to develop first-round draft picks and, and all pros at the position. I mean, do you feel like you're really kind of fishing with dynamite when it comes to working with Brian Hartline? Absolutely. I mean, there's not one kid in the country that, you know, some coaches, they say they're going to go recruit these kids from way out, and you know it's going to be a long shot. With with Hart, you know it's never going to be a long shot. He's going to he's going to be in it just because of how he's handled that room over the last few years and developed these guys. Um, so yeah, he's, he's a great equalizer, but he works at it. You know, it's not just name recognition. He, if you ever see him at practice, he is going nonstop and he loves it. Um, he doesn't need to be coaching. He had a great NFL career, made a lot of money. He does this because he loves it and the kids can see it when they're here, you know, to just how hard he works and his ability to build these relationships with the kids and their families is you know, the best I've seen. Um, he works relentlessly at it. And, uh, you know, anytime there is any kind of smoke of other schools, you know, doing stuff, you know, he's he's on top of it and uh, he's able to put the fires out pretty quickly. I mean, this this might not be a fair question, but how, how much longer can you hold on to him? Right. I mean, I feel like he's he's the games. Uh, he's he's not a secret anymore. He's out there, right? He's got the secret sauce every year. It's like year after year stockpiling talent, and you have to respect it. I think people think it's easy. It's not because you're bringing in these top players to play and compete with some of the best players in the country at the same position. 
I mean, how much longer – you don't have to slap a, a time label on it, but, I mean, you have to think there's going to be opportunities and opportunities that have already come for him to not only be – you know, as a position coach, yeah, not only call an offense, but be a head coach. I think that's got to be something that's probably sooner rather than later in the cards for for him. Yeah, I mean, he's he's extremely talented in a lot of different aspects of what he does. Um, I mean, just look at his career. He was almost an underdog in his playing days and, you know, worked and proved everybody wrong, you know. And so he almost has that mindset here in coaching of like, I'm going to prove myself that I'm the best in the country at what I do. And he takes that mentality every day. And so he would be successful, whether it's football coach or if he was going to sell medical supplies, he just, he's a relentless worker. Um, But the good thing about Hart is obviously he played here. He loves this place. That's why he wanted to come back. That's why he's so passionate about coaching here. Um, You know, if down the road, you know, other opportunities came up, you know, I think it would be really, really hard for him to leave here. Um, But, you know, only, only the future can tell on that. Mark, we've talked a lot about the receiver hall so far. Um, I think one of the more fascinating recruitments or, or courtings uh, last cycle to watch kind of from a distance was Lincoln Kineholz, the, the quarterback. Um, I think you guys were kind of working behind the scenes on him for quite a while. Um, just your thoughts on him as a player, as an individual, and what – he could be for you guys. I mean, going all the way to uh, South Dakota and, you know, I don't think you guys have ever signed someone out of there and you watch the footage and you're like, okay, you know, it looks like it's the middle of nowhere. Um, so just your thoughts on him. Yeah. So going back uh, when we, we had been doing some behind the scenes stuff with, with Lincoln and the more you watched this film, the more you liked him. And obviously, you know, I was, telling Corey Dennis, like, are we really going to have to go to South Dakota to take a quarterback? This is Ohio State. But um, the more we watched him, we're like, this kid just has the traits. He's a 4.0 student, valedictorian of his class. You see his basketball highlights. You see he's a stud baseball player. Um, there's there's something there with this kid. And so um, it took Corey two days to get to South Dakota from Columbus, Ohio, which um, so he wasn't, he wasn't thrilled to ha- about having to make that trip. But he goes there and and in person, he saw what a competitor Lincoln was on the field, how he made everyone on that field around him better. And, you know, I'm not saying that he's Joe Burrow, but he's got a lot of the same qualities that we love Joe for, you know, competitor, smart, tough, great athlete. Um, so I just think he has that mindset to where, again, another guy not afraid to come to a loaded quarterback room and compete. That says a lot about him and his makeup. Um, but, but we're thrilled to have Lincoln. We're glad he, he signed here and, uh, he, he's still, uh, he's still in basketball season right now. So we're excited to get him up here, here in a couple months. I, this is something I didn't have written down, but uh, I mean, you brought up the multi-sport stuff. How important is that in your guys evaluation process? Obviously we see it from the NFL side and everyone says they're looking for, you know, guys that do a little bit of everything. So, you know, how, how much, how much weight does that carry in, in your office? Just guys that, you know, are, are playing three or four sports. Yeah, that's, that's big for us. Something we talk about a lot. Uh, we want to see them doing different things for, for linemen. We love that they're either doing basketball or wrestling outside of football for skill guys. It's almost a red flag. If, if skill guys aren't running track, um, because fast guys should run fast and they should be out there doing that. And if not competing, at least be out there with the team and in training and doing that stuff. But, um, 
you know, when our coaches go out in the winter and even this spring, um, we'd love, you know, to get an evaluation of them doing other stuff besides football. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Is it fair to say with Lincoln Kineholes, you know, what I thought was interesting about him and in the lineage of quarterbacks that you've had at Ohio State since Ryan Day has been there, he's a little bit different athletically, right? I mean, you, Kyle McCord, Devin Brown, more guys that are very comfortable from the pocket. Kineholes, you know, he showed up in San Antonio and we were pretty fascinated with him, obviously, throughout the evaluation process, committed to Washington prior. And we love the the multi-sport background. I mean, you see him on the hardwood. He's throwing down dunks. He's he's a super fascinating athlete. And he gets there, and he kind of struggled during the week, which really wasn't a surprise coming from South Dakota, playing elite competition. And then when the lights came on, I mean, he did some things that we hadn't seen throughout the week physically. I just kind of wonder with the skill set, when you look at a quarterback like that and kind of how he fits, do you say, man, we just really like what this guy brings to the table. Schematically, we might have to do some things that are different than what we've done in the past, but the whole package is just too good to pass up. Yeah, exactly right. Um, I refer to it as adaptability. So when a play breaks down, the quarterback's ability to to get out of it and make a play downfield, which we saw we saw in the game there by Lincoln, which was an incredible play. Um, but also, you know, if, if guys – we look at guys' win-loss record as quarterbacks. We want guys who can win. And, you know, that's that's a big part. Great players find ways to win at, at quarterback is is kind of our opinion. Um, and that's what made Joe Burrow so good. He made everyone around him better, just like Lincoln. And and I think sometimes when those lights come on, some of these guys, they just that extra layer of competitiveness comes out in them and you see them taken up another level, which which Lincoln did in that game. Going to kind of keep this open ended. I mean, we've touched on five of your guys signing class. I think some of them are already going through practices, right? Uh, some of those signees, others will show up in, in, in the summer. Um, who are some guys you, you think will contribute here in, in 2023 or you're, you're hoping, and maybe, maybe the coaches don't see it the same way, but you're so confident in your evaluation and, and what you've seen from those individuals. Yeah. Two guys that are here right now that have, that we were really high on um, both being from Ohio were uh, Jermaine Matthews and uh, Malik Harford and, uh, Malik was this little skinny guy here in January. He's already put on 20 pounds. You know, he's probably 186. Um, and Jermaine is a guy that, you know, I'd always loved. And he came to camp and runs a 4-4, and he's locking down everybody he went against. So they've both stepped in and have both flashed uh, some great practices early on. I love Malik Harford. I mean, it, it, it's funny, and Mark, you can obviously understand this, but, you know, like sitting in the in, in your job and – where I used to be, you don't really get to see these guys live until they come to campus, right? And the only exposure you have to them is on visits unless they come to camp and they, and they work out. And I kind of know Andrew wanted to talk about, you know, Friday Night Lights and all that. But Malik Harford was a guy that there just wasn't a lot of verified testing data on. So we get to see him for the first time in San Antonio and he is turning heads all over the place. So super fired up about him. But another guy I kind of wanted to bring up, I feel like, you know, Andrew raised the question. Every year there seems to be a player at Ohio State that not a lot of people were expecting to contribute as a freshman. And then all of a sudden you're kind of looking down and you're like, okay, where he came from. A couple of years ago, that was like Denzel Burke, right? I thought that was going to be more of a slower burn. You know, there's a couple guys that I kind of got highlighted that I thought 
you can call them sneaky if you want to call them that. Uh, two guys that were still, you know, top two hundred and fifty player, uh, top two fifty players. But yeah, I I loved the addition of Caden McDonald out of Georgia, big, nimble kid. I think uh, position versatile, but I, I I loved his pass rushing upside as well from the interior. And then the other one, Calvin Simpson Hunt out of Texas, who was formerly committed to Texas Tech and a guy that runs really well. I think. I'd be interested to get your thoughts on him. Do you see him at the nickel spot? Do you see him playing outside? Because those are two guys that I think we were really impressed with. And maybe they don't steal a lot of the headlines, but really good football players that I can see contributing for you guys over the next three to four years. Yeah, both both of those guys were top of the board guys really throughout the recruiting process for us. Um, Caden, you know, really on a senior film, you guys see a 330 plus pound guy playing tailback and, you know, it's just funny to watch him, but he was so disruptive, you know, as a pass rusher and he's big and strong, you know, he's going to be a great nose for us, but he's a great kid, great family. And he's playing against the best competition in Georgia and being extremely productive. And and that's why we loved him. Um, with Calvin, um, like you said, he's long and fast. Um, his film was senior film, especially was really boring to watch because nobody ever threw his his way. So, you know, there was not much film to cut on him. Um, but we're hoping to uh, keep him on the outside just because with his length and in his speed. Um, and we're excited to get him here here in a couple months. Well, Cooper mentioned it. Um, Friday Night Lights. <laughs> there, there's some stories. I mean, you, you Google your name. Urban Meyer brings it it up that you kind of created that. And, you know, since then we've seen spinoffs of, of so many different elite camps kind of a, around the country. So I guess where did that idea come from? Um, and it feels like they've changed like these elite camps over the years, you know, we've gotten to this era where the big time rising seniors don't really want to work out. Um, and I don't know what that's a product of. I have my own theories, you know, I, you know, you see guys opting out all over the place. So, you know, where did that idea start? Um, do you think those things have kind of tailed off a little bit? Uh, and if they've had, you know, any reason why you think that maybe some of these guys don't want to lace them up uh, and compete? Yes. So the camp itself actually was not my idea. Um, but, you know, I did help Coach Meyer, you know, help elevate it, you know, with just different ideas that we could do. Um, and it's crazy going all the way back to the Florida days. I still remember Cam Newton working out when he was not really uh, had blown up on the scene yet. Um, so it's just crazy that how far it did come from the, back then, which is so long ago, it seems like. Um, but I just think as time went on, there was so many more uh, camps over the summer, you know, including the opening and, you know, all these seven on sevens and, and I just think by the time, you know, college camp camps had come around that these kids were pretty burnt out and they were getting ready for their own high school season. So as time went on, less kids decided to compete and it just kind of more colleges were doing the same ideas. And like you said, it, it eventually just got too watered down to where we decided to stop doing it because you'd get the top kids on campus, but half of them didn't want to work out, which is fine. That's that's their choice. But uh to now where you're seeing more relaxed settings like the barbecues and and things like that. Okay, best FNL memory, whether that could be at at, at Florida or, or Ohio State. What I mean, brought up Cam Newton off off the you know shooting from the hip right there. What what are some other things that stand out from those? Yeah, probably best memory was watching Chase Young go through drills and uh, and then kind of toward the end of the event event he told Coach Johnson he was going to commit here. So obviously we were 
very excited about that, knowing what type of player he was potentially going to be. So that one definitely sticks out for sure. Mark, going back to like 2018, I, I find this really fascinating. Year 12, right, for, for you coming up at Ohio State, which means six years under Urban Meyer and then year six under Ryan Day. I mean, Ohio State humming at that point, right, in terms of the transition from a public perception. It doesn't seem like a lot changed, but I wonder in those early conversations with you and Ryan Day that I'm assuming happened and you guys evaluating the program from the top down and him asking you your advice on, hey, where can we get better with him taking over? And to me, I mean, that 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 margin line is so thin right you're already operating in in some rarefied air but can you take us into what some of those conversations were like and maybe some you know uh philosophical conversations that you guys have where you felt like all right this is how we really take the next step at ohio state and here are some of the things that i think we should be doing to elevate our program yeah a couple things stick out to me um you know obviously when the infrastructure had stayed the same so there wasn't any drastic changes that they had to be made across the board other than him kind of just putting his, um, you know, a few touches here and there on, on things. But um, just a couple of things. One, the difference was with Ryan, you know, he's he's the play caller. He was the play caller. And so during the fall, you know, he's he's in that meeting room with the offense, you know, all the time. And so that was a that was a big difference with just Coach Meyer, who was more of the CEO type of him and I sitting, staring at the board and going through it almost every day. And just where we out with the guys with Ryan, it was like, Mark, you know, I'm going to be doing this. I, I need you. You're, this is your baby. So you take things and run. And so just that trust he had in me, you know, it meant a lot on, on that side of things. Um, and then I give him a lot of credit just for being so proactive and having the vision, uh, seeing the transfer portal and the way it was going to unfold. And he's like, Mark, we, we need to hire, you know, just like the NFL has a pro scouting, pro scouting department. We need to hire a guy this is his full-time job because this, this thing's going to get crazy to where it's going to be free agency. So I give him a lot of credit in that and given me the resources to hire, you know, somebody with NFL scouting background um, to, to take that and run with it to one that helped me take a lot of my plate and two, you know, being so far ahead in that, in that aspect um, really made things good here. With the portal, I do wonder, like, you know, I think of programs like Ohio state, I think of programs like Clemson where, Washington under Chris Peterson, it was the same way. There's almost, you know, at Washington, I can tell you there was a little bit of hesitancy of jumping into the transfer portal because character and fit is such a high priority within your program. You know, you guys brought in five transfers this year. It's a microwaved process. It happens a lot quicker. I mean, how do you do your due diligence in such a short amount of time that, hey, yeah, we feel really good about the player that we're getting, but is this guy going to be a potential issue or problem in our locker room? I mean, what can, what is that process like for Ohio State and in, in the transfer portal market? Yeah, and, and it's kind of transitioned since, you know, even over the last year or two, you know, going from taking one one or two guys a year where, you know, it was Jonah Jackson or Justin Fields, um, guys who came in, made instant impacts, and that's what, that's what you're hoping to do. So now it's almost where you're even looking for just depth guys because your roster is can change at any time. And so um, you almost need to have guys that are willing to be depth guys here. And, you know, that way, if someone goes down, the next guy just steps right in and, and you feel good about it. Um, 
so it, you know, it's a, it's a full-time job now. And so we're having to evaluate, you know, when that, when that portal opens in December, there's 300 plus guys going in, which tells you everything you need to know. And just to be able to, you know, get a good evaluation on it. And, and like you said, most importantly, you can't disrupt that locker room because if you just start disrupting, that's where you start getting cracks in and culture loses its, its strength. And, and that's what we're being trying to be very mindful of. With USC and, and UCLA coming to the, the big 10, obviously Lincoln Riley, Chip Kelly. I mean, does that change how you feel like you guys have to construct your roster in any in 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 any way, or is this still too new to you? Or, I mean, just you know, two powers from the West coming over, two blood blue bloods. Does that change anything that you guys are looking to do here over the next few years? I think it eventually will once it kind of hits these kids of, hey, I'm going to be able to come play back home, you know, a couple times a year. Um, but I think once we figure out what our schedules are going to be and how that impacts things. Um, at the end of the day, you know, they do, they do a great job recruiting themselves. So again, it just goes back to, we have to make sure it's, we're putting the right time and resources and kids out West. And there's a strong interest in, in leaving that area. Um, and if so, then we'll definitely recruit them. And we've had, you know, great success with Wyatt Davis, Chris Olave, uh, CJ Stroud, you know, so we'll, we'll keep doing it if, if there's that interest. Emeka Egbuka, JT. Yeah, JT, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I think I was a, a director at Washington when you came in and, and, and took both those guys. Man, that was uh that was really tough. And that's that just goes to show. I mean, the power the power of the brand and you know, done a really good job in, in Arizona too. You know, it was funny, Mark, the last four cycles you guys have been ranked inside the top five uh, in recruiting classes and in terms of state representation, that number has never been lower than 10, you know? So I, I, I'm just kind of curious the way you guys are structured or I, I would have to imagine that full scope when you're recruiting nationally, are you guys area or position, uh, recruiting organization? Both. Um, it seems to have transitioned over the last couple of years to more position, um, for whatever reason, I don't know that answer why, but we're, we're trying to even it out just a little bit. I, I always think team recruiting is the best recruiting. And so if it's solely a position coach recruiting a kid, I, I just don't think that's as strong as area coach, position coach, coordinator, head coach get involved um, hitting up these kids. And, and we've had our best success when we've had three or four guys really planting the roots into the kids and their families. The NFL draft, Mark, coming up in um, next month, I believe, and uh, no shocker, but a lot of names at the top of the draft being considered, uh, a lot of guys that have come from your program. So, you know, I'm going to play a little bit of a, a Q&A hypothetical conversation here, but, and I'm sure in all your experience, NFL liaison there at Ohio State, you know, you're talking with a lot of people, a lot of representation of all 32 teams, but I'm Scott Fitter. I'm the GM of the Carolina Panthers, and they just traded up for the number one pick. I want to know what type of player and what type of person I'm getting if I select C.J. Stroud. And, and I would tell him just put on that Georgia game because you're going to see C.J. at his very best. When, when the stakes were the highest, he played his very best. And I just think with C.J., just his arm talent alone, um, his ability to make every throw, um, he's a very intellectual kid who's – works extremely hard um, and he wins and he comes from a great program. Um, you know, we've had, a, we've had a lot of great quarterbacks come through here. CJ might be the best pure passer that I've ever, that I've seen here over the last few years. 
one of the uh, one of the best players in the country outside of CJ Stroud, Jackson Smith, Najigba. And, you know, we get into this process now with the NFL scouting combine at the end of the year and in Jackson Smith and the Jigba, his name has come up a little bit more and more. I mean, do you feel like this feels like one that he has proved since he has stepped foot in Columbus that he is one of the best players in the country, not only one of the best receivers, but one of the best players? I mean, do you feel like there's a little bit of overthinking going on with him and his draft stock right now? Way too much overthinking. Um, you know, you put on the film, you see the results and everybody loves the shiny new car. And, you know, as as the car gets older, you know, people don't see it as shiny. So, you know, if Jackson played this year, there would be no doubt. It w- there would be no questions asked. Um, we know what he can do. And all you got to do is ask his teammates. You know, there was an interview um, on ESPN a couple years, or I think before the Rose Bowl, where Garrett and Chris both told Kirk Herbstreit that Jackson was better than both of them. And, you know, that takes a lot for them to say that, Garrett, obviously just rookie of the year, and Chris – had a great year, his rookie year too. So for them to have that much respect for Jackson, um, you know, that, that says it all when you have the praise of your teammates like that. Mark, from a legislation standpoint in the NCAA, and I know it's something that, you know, you're very, I don't want to say involved with, but you, your your voice weighs heavy. You've been doing this for a long time, right? And, and around the personnel symposium, you're a lot of people, a lot of people refer to you. Um, and I just wonder, I mean, how big of a deal would it be for you as somebody in the player personnel seat, even if it's not you, but an arm of you to have somebody within your department, if the NCAA were to pass legislation for somebody uh, of the personnel type to be able to go out on the road and be an extra set of eyes. Yeah, it'd be huge. And, and I would especially think it makes sense for the fall. Let, let our coaches focus on the team, focus the night before on getting their players ready to play and, you know, designate, you know, one person or two, whatever it is in the personnel department to be able to go on the road, just like the NFL does with with scouts. You know, to me, that makes that makes too much sense. Um, and I don't know if we're ever going to get there. But if I ever have a voice, I would strongly, you know, push for that. Well, what's crazy to me is what what you said earlier. I mean, it took Corey two days to get to South Dakota. Obviously, that's pretty isolated. But I mean, you guys have one of the bigger budgets out there. Right. And I mean, access to to private flights and every time i'm i see a coach in south florida i'm like man this guy's like 48 hours for a game and and, you know it's a priority to go see brandon ennis i mean it just seems like it exactly what you said you know it would make so much more sense to just send one or two personnel guys out i'm sure people would try to bend the rules a little bit to to make it an, an advantage for them um how crazy is, I mean, what is, what is that weighing it out? Yeah, hey, we got to see this guy. Like wh- what are those conversations? Has there ever been a time when you're trying to get a guy out and, you know, they want to prepare for a game. I'm assuming Saturday me- means a lot more in most cases. Yeah. I've, I've always been under the presumption that you got to win that game on Saturday. And, and so all should, all focus should be on the team on Friday. Now, if there's a local game that it's easy to get to, you know, no problem to get there and back. But I think coaches being around their players is critical the night before just for their mindset, you know, making sure that, you know, any last minute tips or, you know, play stuff they need to go through film that their coach is there to go through with them. Obviously, with the extensions of quality controls now and GAs and you have a army of people that can do that. But to me, that coach is the one who's, you know, who's there for that for your guys. And, you know, it's 
sometimes I think it's a bad look when the coach isn't there at dinner, you know, being around his guys and, you know, maybe the players look at it, you know, badly that, Hey, our guys out on the road looking at a recruit and not with us. And so I, I just think you need to weigh all that. Now, certain situations, there's exceptions to everything, you know, you have to go see Ennis because you know, yeah. something's going on, then you got to go do it. But um, just to go back to the original point though, it would make more sense for personnel got to go out and do that. You can't talk to the kids anyway during that time. So it's really just a face that they see or a logo that they see on the sideline. And really that's all you're getting anyway. Are there, are there other changes that you're, you're hoping to see? You mentioned the photo shoots just going to official visits. I mean, again, we, we heard you at the symposium. I mean, you, you carry a ton of weight with your voice and anything you're hoping to maybe see restructured, maybe the calendar, um, it's pretty crazy right now for you guys. And everyone, everyone knows that we're seeing a lot of coaches go to the NFL. So anything you're, you're hoping or, or trying to push behind the scenes that you can share with us? Yeah, I think the December calendar needs to change. There's just too much going on right now all at one time with getting ready to play for, you know, a bowl game or college semifinal, uh, transfer portals opening. You got high school signing day. Um, you know, you're trying to re- retain your roster after the regular season. Coaches are going out on the road, recruiting, just way too much at one time. So that's one thing that needs to be fixed. And one possible solution that I've talked about in the past is potentially having a signing day, you know, whether it's that last Wednesday of June. I think a lot of kids, the reason they take those June official visits is to make their decision before their senior year. And so if they're going to take three or four visits in a row and then make their decision, you know, that may be a good time just to get some finalization and, and get those group of guys you know, signed and out of the way. Now, obviously, there's always going to be the exceptions of, hey, head coach leaves, position coach leaves after the season. So I think there should be some leeway, um, you know, to, to let them out if things like that happen. But I think it would be a big stress relief for the kids and for the coaches if um, there potentially could be that last week of June to first week of July earnings early signing day. Mark, one more question for you, and then we'll get you out of here. Uh, a lot of people around the country got their – are fixated on this quarterback battle in, in Columbus. And, you know, I'm not going to put you on the spot here, but can you talk a little bit about what you like about each of those guys, Kyle McCord and Devin Brown, what you hope to see from them this spring? Yeah, it's been, it's been a great uh, January, February and leading up to practice because coach mix put them in a lot of situations of one-on-one, whether it's uh, rope pull or, um, tire pulls or something to get those guys competing against each other early on, which is, which is just great to see them go at it. But, um, first of all, those guys are, get along great. They're, they're good friends and they're both competitors when they step on that field. It's like, you know, you're letting a tiger out of its cage. Cause those guys go at it. Um, but extremely talented, both have big arms. Um, both are students of the game. They're always here learning, watching film. Um, both have the ultimate respect of their teammates. Um, you know, I can't go out and get a cup of coffee or whatever in Columbus without me getting asked this question. And I don't two practices in and we still got a long way to go. And, and I know it's going to come down to the wire because they're both great kids and, and, and great quarterbacks. And, and I'll even say it, they're both going to be NFL quarterbacks someday. Well, there we have it. Mark Pantone, straight from the horse's mouth, the Ohio state athletic director, Mark, your time is greatly appreciated, man. I hope you get a little sun down in Florida, get to enjoy some time with your family guys we appreciate you listening to the 24 7 sports football recruiting podcast make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast apple spotify make sure also 
to leave a review as well. For Andrew Ibens, Mark Pantone, I'm Cooper Patagna. We'll see you tomorrow.